is the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, to tell you a mystery, we will not only sleep or die, but we will all be changed in a in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will stand, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the sign that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where our death is your victory. Where our death is your sting. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that as we look into it for those few moments together, that you open it up to us, and we hear you speaking to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever heard of a guy by the name of John Patton? Not the footballer, not the great general, but John Patton. John Patton was a missionary uh, to what was then called the New Hebrides, what we know now as Vanuatu. In those early days, back in the 1800s, the little that was known about that Polynesian part of the world was that the islands were full of savages and cannibals. There'd been stories floating around for some time of, of the British ships that had run aground there or that had landed there to get resupplied or one thing and another. And the stories go along the line of there were no survivors. Once the savages got a hold of them, there were none left. They were all eaten and killed, or killed and eaten, whichever comes first. John Patton was born in southern Scotland in 1824. He grew up there amongst a poor family, and eventually as a young man, uh, he heard God's call to missions, but not just missions anywhere, Listens to the New Hebrides, Vanuatu, this land filled with savage cannibals. And of course, there were people telling him he was mad. He'd just got married, so he had a young wife, and uh, to think that they were going to set sail to this place on the opposite side of the globe where there was every possibility that they wouldn't survive. There were lots of people telling Patton that he was mad. In fact, one of his older Church associates, a fellow by the name of Mr. Dixon, said to him, You'll be eaten by cannibals. So you think that was going to happen. But here's what Patton said in reply Mr. Dixon, he says, You're advanced in years. Now, that's, you should know that you probably shouldn't tell an older person that they're advanced in years. They probably already know it. But he says, Mr. Dixon, you're advanced in years now. And soon, you'll be laid in the grave. Oh, that's good news, isn't it? Soon you'll be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. Well, in reality, that's the truth, isn't it? We get old, we get laid in the grave, and nature takes its course, and 
worms get fed. Then Patton goes on to say this, I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving Jesus, it'll make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or worms. And when Jesus comes again on that great day, my resurrection body will rise again just as fair as yours in the image of our Saviour. Isn't that a great outlook? Doesn't matter what happens. Jesus rose again, so therefore when he returns, we'll rise again too with new bodies to honour him and to glorify him. Well, we've read these verses from 1 Corinthians 15. As hard as it is for us to imagine, the reason this chapter was written is that there were people in the church in Corinth who didn't believe in the resurrection. I'm not sure how you believe in Jesus, especially when so much of our focus on Jesus is based around his death, his burial, and his resurrection. I'm not sure how you come to the conclusion that there, there is no such thing as a resurrection. But there were enough people in the church in Corinth who didn't believe in a resurrection of any kind that Paul had to take time to write this chapter. It's the longest chapter in the book, I think, and quite detailed with his arguments uh, to show them that there really is a resurrection and that Jesus really has risen from the dead. And there are lots of things that he says about uh, the resurrection and how important that is to our faith. And just to sum it all up, the first part of the chapter, he said, basically, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, then we've got absolutely no hope. There's nothing to look forward to. There's nothing for us to anticipate. In fact, our faith and all of the uh, workings of our faith and going to church and all the things that we do because of that. It's all a waste of time. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we have no hope. That's the gist of the argument that he brings. But you know, I was thinking the other day that when we celebrate Christmas, this is kind of a one-day event. Of course, we remember um, the angels' announcements to Mary and and Elizabeth that they're going to have babies, particularly Mary, to be the mother of Jesus. And of course, we remember the journey to Bethlehem and all of that that goes along with our remembering the Christmas story. But really, we're remembering a one-day event, if you like. But with Easter, we're remembering a three-day event. On Friday, of course, we remembered Jesus' death and burial, that act of him bearing in his body on the cross, all that separated us from our Heavenly Father, all of the sin, the consequences of sin, all of that that he carried in his body on the cross, then to be laid in the tomb. But then, of course, today, Sunday, three days later, we remember Jesus' resurrection. And, you know, one without the other is kind of pointless or powerless or both. Jesus dying on the cross and staying dead in the tomb is really just another good man dying for cause. And history is full of good men who have died for cause. In the end, it adds up to nothing. We soon forget what the cause was. We forget who the person was. It all just evaporates to nothing. But of course, there could be no resurrection without 
Jesus' death. So Jesus' death and resurrection are like two parts to the same coin, two sides of the, the same uh, coin, and, and one's the beginning and one's the end, if you like, of the same story of Jesus' act of redemption for us. And his resurrection is just as vital for us as his death was. It is because of his death that we could be forgiven, but it's because of his life, his resurrection, that we can live as well. So I want to take just a couple of moments. There's hot cross buns waiting. So, and I love hot cross buns, so, you know, we've got to be quick. I want to take just a couple of moments to look at this passage because there's a few things here that are, if you like, benefits to us because of the resurrection. Because Jesus was raised, certain things come to us as benefits and, and it's worth taking a, a moment to just see what God has done for us in raising Jesus from the dead. First thing, because Jesus is raised, we're all going to be changed. I'm hoping for a taller body with more hair. How's that? Probably won't be like that, but we're all going to be changed. Paul says a couple of times in the first few verses that we read this morning, first in verse 50, he says, listen, I tell you a mystery, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Now when Paul wrote that, they were anticipating that Jesus' return was just around the corner. In fact, they anticipated that they'd most of them would still be living when Jesus returned. They didn't understand that God has this time frame and that he's working out through history that might be today, tomorrow, in a hundred years, in a thousand, we don't know. But God is working to a time frame that we don't quite understand, but they thought that was going to be while they were still living. But of course, and Paul says this in the passage, there were people who had come to faith in Jesus but then had passed away and were now dead and buried. And Paul says, whether we're alive or whether we're dead when Jesus comes, we're all going to be changed. That's exciting. The next uh, verse, verse 51, Paul says, In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Now, you might be happy with your body at the moment. Uh, the bad news is it's going to get old, it's going to wear out, things are going to stop working as they should, uh, you're going to struggle as life goes on for you, and uh, eventually, if you live long enough, you'll probably leave the world in a similar way to the way you came in. You remember when you came into the world, there was mother looking after you or father, whatever the case may be, someone caring for you and taking care of your needs. If we live long enough, someone else is going to do that for us in our old age as well. Not a nice prospect to look forward to. So I think by the time we get there, we'll be happy with the idea that we will be changed. Yeah. Paul has spoken about this thought of us being changed and, you know, we've got to understand the reason why there needs to be a change. He starts off by saying, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. 
That's quite a profound statement when you think about it. So often, as I was a younger Christian growing up, my understanding of that principle of that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, my understanding of that was, well, the kingdom of God is a spiritual realm, and we're in a physical realm, so therefore the physical realm can't inherit the spiritual realm. You know, I don't think that's the point. It's not the point that Paul is making. Yes, at the moment, the kingdom of heaven is a spiritual realm because we can't actually see it in a physical sense. But you know, when Jesus was raised, he was raised in a body that the disciples recognized and as Glenis reminded us, Thomas could touch, put his hand and his fingers in the wounds that Jesus carried in his body, if Jesus is any indication of what's awaiting us, we're going to rise with physical bodies, but physical bodies that are not corrupted by sin. You see, while we might enjoy being in physical bodies and living in a physical world, everything about this physical world is corrupted by sin, and that's what Paul means when he says flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. Nothing in this physical world is fit to inherit the kingdom of God. So it has to be changed. And that's what Jesus is going to do when he returns. He's going to give us glorified bodies that are not corrupted by the sin of this world, that are fit for the kingdom of God. For example, bodies that will live forever. We know, clearly know now, that our, the bodies that we're in now are not going to live forever. In fact, not very long at all, really, in the whole scheme of life. So the bodies that we enter into the eternal kingdom of God in are going to have to be bodies that can live forever. And so that's one of the changes that's going to happen. We're going to have new bodies that are going to be fit in every way to live in God's heavenly kingdom. Now, as you read through particularly the New Testament, you, read, you understand that God's ultimate plan is to establish his kingdom on earth with us. He wants us to be with him, but he wants it to be in the earth that he's created. And that's why the Bible talks about there being a new heaven and a new earth, because nothing that we see that is part of this created world at the moment is fit for the eternal kingdom because it's all been corrupted by sin. And you know, it's sad to say, because we are so corrupted by sin, it's almost true to say as well that everything we do is perverted by sin. We do a lot of good things. Lots of people around the world do enormous amounts of good things, but even those good things have been per perverted by the sin that corrupts this physical world. So the good news is, when Jesus returns, whether we've already passed away and we've been eaten by worms in the grave, or whether we're still alive when he comes, we will be changed. It's exciting news. You know, there's another element to this changed idea that I want to just touch on in passing. The idea that we will be changed gives me the thought that we can change. You know, we read a lot, we hear a lot about the mental health crisis 
that seems to affect people in our society these days. It's sad to see so many people struggle with depression and things like that. You know, one of the things, I realise it's not the only thing, there are multi-layers of reasons why people suffer from things like depression, but one of the things that bothers people so much is the idea that this is all life's ever going to be. It's never going to change. It's never going to be any different or any better. I can't change, even if I want to change. Nothing will ever change. You know, the truth is, that's not true. Jesus rose again, so we anticipate that day when we will all be changed, those of us who have put our faith and trust in him. But that shows me that it is possible to change to a certain extent because Jesus is living in us. So life doesn't have to stay the same all the time. If Jesus is living in us, then of course we'll change. Jesus has risen and because he's risen, we will all be changed. Exciting to look forward to that. Jesus has risen and because Jesus is risen, we are given a victory to live. Life is not a foregone conclusion, but life is a victory that he's given us to live. I wonder if you ever heard about a guy by the name of Len Kentish. I first heard about Len when I would have been nine or ten years old. Len was born in Melbourne. He grew up with his family in southern Queensland in the Gums, Tara region. Went to school in Dolby. Uh, eventually studied in Brisbane and trained to be a Methodist minister. He was ordained to be a Methodist minister and his first appointment was to the Methodist Church in Townsville. As a young man with a young family, Len heard the call of God to missions. And so he and his family uh, ended up in Darwin and uh, served with the Methodist, it was called Overseas Mission, uh, in those days along the top of Arnhem Land to the islands along the top of Arnhem Land uh, where there were lots and lots of not only Methodist but other church missions as well. Uh, Len spent some time on Croker Island where I grew up, uh, helping to establish the children's home that was being established on Croker Island. He was based on Golden Island, which was a, another island to the east of Croker Island, and there he spent his time uh, learning the local languages and learning to write the local languages so they could produce uh, the Bible in local language written form so people could learn to read the Bible in their own language. The Second World War broke out and uh, most of the southern families were evacuated from the top end, but Lynn chose to stay. His family left, they travelled down through central Australia, through Alice Springs, to Adelaide, to Melbourne and then eventually uh, settled back in Brisbane. You can imagine in those days with dirt roads, it would have taken them weeks to get down to Adelaide. Uh, but Len decided to stay behind. He was well known along the top end and he knew the region very well. Uh, so he stayed behind as a, a guide, a, like a pilot, to, to help navigate the coastal shipping along there. And also he volunteered as a 
coastal watcher, watching out for enemy activity and reporting back to headquarters. Len was on board a small coastal ship one day, sailing east towards the Gulf of Carpentaria, when the ship was attacked by a, a Japanese float plane. It scored a direct hit, sank in moments. A couple of the crew were killed, the rest ended up in the sea. The plane bugged them two or three times, machine gunning the people in the water, killing a few more. Eventually, when they thought the plane was leaving, it turned around, came back and landed. And it just so happened that Lynn was closest to where the plane landed. The pilot got out and at some point ordered Lynn to get in the plane. The plane took off and that was that. They never saw or heard from Lynn. For years, it was four or five years, uh, till well after the war had ended before Lynn's wife and family found out what had happened to him. Lynn was taken to one of the islands that was a Japanese base, an Indonesian island these days, and there he was tortured and beaten severely. They would target his nose and his eyes, so it wasn't long before he had a broken nose and couldn't see out his eyes. He was beaten mercilessly. Lynn was a civilian, so he had no military information he could have passed on anyway. Eventually, after a month or two, they led Len out into the bush, a few hundred yards from the prison camp, to where a grave had already been prepared. And there Len was beheaded, and his remains buried. Was that the end for Len? Do you think that was it for Len? Len was the first, incidentally, and only Australian to be taken prisoner in Australia. Small historical fact. But you can imagine the turmoil of his wife and family, wondering what's happened to our dad, what's happened to our husband, where is he, what's no news at all until well after the war, and then they find out he's been executed. Is that the end? Is that it? Well, in this passage that we've read this morning, we've been told that because Jesus has risen, we're given a victory to live. Death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? Jesus, in rising again, conquered death, which the Bible calls the last enemy. You can escape everything except death, maybe taxes, but death certainly. Eventually, it's going to catch up with us if Jesus doesn't return before that. But death was always looked on as that one enemy that was going to have final victory. But now we read that because Jesus has been risen again, death has lost its victory. There is no more hold that death has over us. Why? Because we look forward to that time when Jesus will return and we'll be changed. For for Len, young man in his mid-thirties at the time, his life on earth ended then. His remains after the war were gathered up and he was buried again in the war cemetery and in uh, Ambon, where the other Australian war graves are. You know, there's going to come a day when Jesus returns and Len, along with other believers, who are maybe buried there as well, are going to rise again. And this time his body will be fit for his new eternal home. You know, if you think about it, 
most of the things that we fear have something to do with our distraction. You might be afraid of the dark. Well, why are you afraid of the dark? Well, there might be someone out there ready to kill me. It's got something to do with death. You might be afraid of sickness. Well, why? Well, maybe it's a sickness that can't be cured and eventually I'll die. You might be afraid of losing all your money, all your worldly goods. Why? Well, when we're so poor we have nothing to eat, eventually death and destruction will come. If you boil everything down, death is the thing that causes so much of the fear and anxiety that grips our world. And yet we're told, victory. No more victory for death. The sting of death is broken and we can live in victory. We can live not only in the victory that Jesus conquered death, but also in the victory that Jesus has won for us. Your life can be victorious. Even though one day you'll probably grow old and die before Jesus returns. Your life can be victorious because Jesus gives us a victory to live. Because Jesus is risen, we can also live differently now. The last verse that we read, verse 58, says three things that I want to focus on very quickly. The first thing he says is stand firm in the Lord. You know, because Jesus has risen again, and because we're going to be changed one day, and because we have the victory over death ultimately, and Jesus has given us victory to live, we can stand firm. And again, as you watch the news and read the newspapers, you find out that one of the biggest target groups in society these days is Christians. Everything is designed in our society to denigrate Christians, the Christian faith, to mock it, to pull it down and to show how much we don't need it. But we get to stand firm because Jesus has risen. One day we will be changed. Jesus has given us victory to live now. So therefore we can stand firm in Him. We can. We don't need to blow and bend with the wind. If ever there's a time that we need to stand firm, it's now. Then He goes on to say, Stand firm in the Lord. Let nothing lose you. You know, that really means... Don't let anything compromise you. Don't let anything cause you to give up or to give in. Don't let anything move you. You have your faith in Jesus. Jesus is alive, risen from the dead. Because of that, we know we'll be changed. Because of that, we know we will enter into the final victory over death. We know but nothing, nothing that happens to us or around us should bring us any fear. We can stand firm in the Lord with nothing causing us to be compromised, especially with our faith. And then to conclude, basically stay busy serving the Lord. You know, one of the greatest dangers for us as Christians is to become lazy, to stop serving Jesus, the minute you stop doing something, the minute the devil comes along with all of these other ideas of what life should be like, 
and of what you could do with that extra time that you've now got. And before you know it, you've wandered away. Stay busy serving Jesus. Now, that might be in your workplace. Whatever you do, there's an opportunity there for you to be a witness for Jesus. Maybe you work directly with other people. There's an opportunity there for you to be a witness in the way you live and in the way you speak. What life in Jesus is like. Stay busy serving Jesus. Don't let anything compromise you. Don't let anything move you from your faith in Jesus. Stand firm in Him and stay busy serving Him. Maybe you work in a job where you're not in contact with a lot of other people. You can still serve Jesus in that job. I work part-time at a factory that builds horse stables as a welder. Most of the time I'm in my own little world welding. The rest of the team are in their own little worlds. I can still serve Jesus while I'm doing that in the way that I work and in the way I interact with other people. Stand firm in the Lord because Jesus has been risen. Don't let anything move you because Jesus has been risen. Keep busy serving Him because Jesus has been risen. And one day He will return and we will be changed and we will be with Him forever. With all of the corruption of sin in this world washed away and blotted out forever. Well, because Jesus has risen, we because Jesus has risen. We're given a victory to live now. Because Jesus has risen. We can live differently now as we stand firm in Him. We don't have to conform to the rest of society. We can stand firm in Him. So, here's this Easter for you. Anticipating Jesus' return and the day when we're going to be changed. Let's pray together. Then I think we've got a song to sing and then hot cross buns away. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are risen. We've been singing about it, praying about it, talking about it this morning. But Lord, we thank you that because you are risen, so much comes to us that points to life with you forever. And Lord, we want to thank you for that. We want to thank you for the victory that you give us, not only over death, but over all those other little fears and, and controlling influences that are part of life as we know it now. We want to thank you that you enable us to live differently as we stand firm in you. We want to thank you for the prospect that one day we'll be changed more and more into your likeness so that in a sense we share your glory in new bodies that are fit for us living with you eternally. Lord, thank you that today we celebrate your resurrection. In Jesus' name. Amen.